was a good friend of mine. Hello and welcome to the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. My name is Kyle Case and I'll be your host on this amazing journey as we attempt to help you get the most out of your life. Joining me in the studio today is my co-pilot, Jeff Harding. Jeff, how are you doing today? I am excited, Kyle. Good, good. I'm excited that you're excited. Well, I'm excited because we're doing so well in our registrations. We are, we are. Registration is going fantastic. Um, we're definitely going to break a record as far as the Huntsman World Senior Games uh, numbers are concerned this year. It's looking really good. Right. The only question is how high can we go? So that hasn't been determined yet. <laughs> it hasn't yet. I do think we're going to break a record, though. It's going to be a great year. I'm looking forward to it as yeah, well it and, and feel that excitement. And we're coming up on a deadline as well. Yes, so, we are. Uh, I'm going to talk about that at the end of the show, but uh, it's time to get registered for the games. It is. But Jeff, we spend on this show in particular, we spend time talking about Sometimes about what to eat. Yes, we do. Is that fair to say? Or what not to eat. Oh, I was going to say, sometimes we talk about what not to eat. Right. I think that's fair to say as well. But, you know, let's be honest, a healthy diet has to be a part of the active life. A balanced healthy yeah, diet. Yeah, a right. balanced healthy diet has to be a piece of that puzzle. Today, though, I want to take that theme for just a little bit of a twist. Okay. I'm not going to talk about what to eat, but, but I am going to talk about how to prepare it. Oh, so you're going to be a culinary expert. Well, I I won't be a culinary expert, no, but there are some things uh, that, let's just say there are, I'm going to go over five cooking mistakes that nutritionists wish we'd stop making. So deep fried ice cream is probably not a good idea. I, I, I'm not going to say it's not a good idea because everything in moderation, right? Okay. So just, but if you have it every single meal, it's probably not a good idea, but that's not the kind of thing I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about food preparation the way the way that we do it. This is an article that was written by Chrissy Brady and, uh, there's, there's some interesting stuff here. I'm going to say, I don't know that I love to hear all these things. Okay. Because I do almost all of them, <laughs> so so uh, they're not necessarily things that uh, that I love to hear. But there's probably some stuff that is is probably worth talking. Well, about. Well, pat yourself so, on the back. At least you're consistent. Yes, that's true. That's true. So here's number one, and, right. and like I said, in, in full disclosure, this is probably the one that I like the least. Okay, <laughs> the one that I like to hear the least. All right, and that is grilling, baking, or broiling meats regularly well what's left well i i that's what i said too and i read this headline i'm like well how else do you eat it you can't eat it raw so what, what's left right so here's here's the problem this is the problem meats naturally contain compounds that they call advanced glycation and products or ages for short okay and these compounds are also produced when meats are cooked especially in dry, high temperatures. So you've got these things that are bad for you that's already in meat, and then they're multiplied when you cook those meats in high, dry temperatures. So Jill Weisenberger, who is a registered dietitian, she says that in small amounts, AGEs are not that big of a deal because the body's defense mechanisms, they know how to handle mm-hmm. know how to handle them. But in large amounts, they can cause increased inflammation and insulin resistance, which can lead to prediabetes and type 2 diabetes. So here's the advice. The advice is to reserve grilling, baking, and broiling for special occasions and cooking with moist heat instead, such as stewing, poaching, or steaming. And okay. I cook my meat oftentimes, not every time. Sometimes I do like to grill and... Mm-hmm. and uh, bake and broil my meats but i cook in a crock pot often so it's and there's a moist yeah, there's a moist heat there so anyway that can prevent the production of ages they also say that marinating your meats in acids like citrus juice vinegar tomato juice and wine 
can also keep those AGEs in check. So something to consider yeah. when okay. you're making your meats this weekend. See, I didn't even consider those options when you said the three because like, so what else is there? But right, right. There are options, Well, yeah. I think most of us bake or grill or, or, or broil when we consider yeah. our meats. And, and I, the article is not saying that you can't do it. They're just right. saying do it in moderation. Right, right. And it's a problem if you do it regularly. So mm-hmm. number two, if we're talking about meat already, let's continue on with that trend. Okay. Leaving meat out to thaw. Should let it thaw in the refrigerator. That's what they say, right? Mm-hmm. And I have heard that, and I I know that, and I even believe that it's true. But um, I leave my meat out to thaw. Well, it does happen a lot faster <laughs> if you do it on the table as opposed to the refrigerator. Right, you have to plan right. a lot farther ahead to put it in the refrigerator, let it thaw. Well, that's that's my problem is the planning ahead. Right, like I, you know, it gets to be about you know an hour or two before dinner time, and I don't know what I want, and all of a sudden I decide, and then I've just got a bunch of frozen meat. So right. Anyway, here's the thing: bacteria can grow on protein when it's left sitting at room temperature for too long. And that increases the risk of foodborne illness, says registered dietitian Mandy Enright. Instead, she says, like what you said, Jeff, take the items out of the freezer the night before at least and place them on a plate in a fridge to thaw out. She says, never leave frozen proteins thawing where they can leak onto other foods, especially fruits and vegetables that can be consumed raw because that's just going to spread those bacteria. Right. And it's always a good idea to wash your hands after you handle meats before you grab something else. Now, if it's turkey, you can have to do it four or five days before you want to cook it. because it, it takes a long bird. time to yeah. defrost, right? Let's go on. Number three, storing oils next to the stove. Yes, it's convenient to have your cooking oils within reach, but the heat from the stove can actually cause harm to the oils and make them go rancid. And when there's rancid oil, there's inflammation promoting free radicals. So that's a bad thing. Oh, yeah. The same goes if they're stored in direct sunlight. So the best thing to do is to keep your oils in a cool, dry cabinet. Right. Number four, peeling fruits and vegetables. Now, I've heard this one before. You've, you've heard this as well. You shouldn't peel fruits and vegetables? You're, yeah, you're not supposed to. That's a mistake that we make. That I cannot eat an orange with its peel on it. Or a banana. Or a banana. Guess what? You can but you, you prefer not to. <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> the, the taste is so bitter, I would spit it out. I would the, not eat it. The skins of many fruits and vegetables are typically the most nutrient-dense part of the food. Which is very true, yeah. So discarding them means missing out on the maximum nutrition that's available by eating the fruits. Uh, again, this is from a registered dietitian. Her name was Jenny Friedman. She says, depending on the food, the skin often contains important nu- nutrients like calcium, potassium, B vitamins, and is also where most of the plant's fiber is stored. So not only will you save on food prep by hiding the peeler, but your body will enjoy an extra dose of nutrients right. as well. So things like uh, cucumbers, apples, potatoes, potatoes, not necessarily the oranges and the bananas, yeah. but uh, you, or or or, or uh, uh, pineapple. I mean, that, yeah, that, you can't. That, that'd be yeah, a little rough. That's going to be tough. That's gonna too tough much roughage. Well. Here's my last one, and okay. this is a, an easy one uh, to fix as well, and that is boiling our vegetables. So Emily Burston, another dietitian, says that you can lose between 40 to 50% of the nutrients through boiling your vegetables, mm-hmm. depending on the type or a vitamin or mineral. Burston recommends blanching instead. Now, do you know what blanching is? Just cooking at a high temperature really fast. Oh, so you did know. I didn't know. I, I, I was unaware or well, unfamiliar. I, I've, I've been around a little bit longer than you, Kyle. Okay. I picked up a few things. So blanching, <laughs> yeah. So that's boiling briefly. For no more than two minutes, followed by plunging your vegetables into super cold water or an ice bath, which halts the cooking process. And this keeps your veg- vegetables crisp and vibrant, and it also preserves the nutrients. And then when you're ready, you can toss them into a stir fry or a pasta dish for a quick reheat 
and you get to keep all those nutrients. But there is one thing. You can, you can drink the water you, that you cook the vegetables in. Yeah, I was going to mention that, especially for families that have little kids at home and they do Kool-Aid or, or Gatorade or whatever. Mm. You can save that water and you know put a little bit of flavoring in it. The kids will never know. It tastes just the same or getting, just as good, and you get all those nutrients right. as well. So just some advice to th- yeah. consider as we're preparing our, our foods, as we're trying to uh, eat healthy and live the active life. Today's guest, Jeff. You know, I was just going to say, I wish we had a doctor who could validate any of these things that we're talking about. (laughs) Well, we're lucky because we do. Our guest today is Dr. Kurt Dallow. Dr. Dallow is a family physician and a primary care sports medicine doctor. He organized Northern Colorado's Walk with a Doc program. And when he's not practicing medicine, you can find him competing or training for his next triathlon. Dr. Dallow joins us by phone from Colorado, and we're glad to have you on the show. Dr. Dallow, welcome. Well, thank you. It's great to be uh, on the phone talking to you all. I enjoyed. I learned some tips that you had there, even though I'm married to a uh, dietitian as well. Well, we won't tell her that you learned any tips from us. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think from a doctor's standpoint? Does any of that ring true with, with you? It, it really does. When you look at um, going back more into sort of a preventative mode, things that we can do. The the grilling, um, we've known for a while, um, the intake of red meats is, is linked with certain uh, illnesses, uh, colon cancer, things like this. Grilling may exacerbate that. Um, I, I hadn't thought about, um, I know about blanching, but I didn't think about taking the water from the blanching and actually drinking. That would be an interesting twist to things. Um, did realize the issue of the skins, and we try to, yeah. um, you know, not not peel as many things at home that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's always some things to be learned there. But again, I think if we if you take the knowledge that we have out there and get that knowledge passed out so that people can use it, uh, we may live a little better and and a little simpler in that regards too. It's better off for all of us, right? The, the more we know, right? right? Knowing half's the battle. All all those all those great sayings. Right, right. So I want to talk mm-hmm. a little bit, just to kick us off here, uh, about sports medicine in particular. You've, you've practiced sports medicine for a long time now. I'm curious what you see as the biggest injuries or the most occurring injury that happens among athletes in sports medicine. Well, you know, you have to break it down because uh, you have sort of chronic overuse injuries is a big part of our practice. Okay. Right? These are these are the runners that come in with uh, sore joints, the knees and things like that. And you look at their training plans and it tells you that they've upped their mileage, you know, very quickly or they've been running for a long time um, and then have changed some things this way. Then you have the acute injuries. You know, we have the collision contact sports um, and, and these aren't, I don't necessarily look at these as being life sports. You don't see too many 70 year olds playing tackle football. Okay. That is true. Uh, <laughs> Thank goodness. And there, there you get your acute injuries. You get your anterior cruciate ligament, um, tears, um, that require surgery. You, um, get injuries to the joints that can then down the road lead to problems, uh, lifelong. You know, a lot of these people that have, uh, joint injuries from collision contact sports then are sort of um, doomed a little bit to have an earlier onset of osteoarthritis, um, and that can give them problems. Um, People that, you know, recurrently dislocate their shoulders, um, you know, like in a collision contact sport, again, rugby, Mm -hmm. football, things like this, um, are going to have some problems down the road with that joint. Um, Once your original equipment is damaged, it's never quite the same. Yeah. Yeah, that that's uh, that's true, and 
And um, we're not going to get into the head injury aspect of things either, but they're finding so right. much about concussions and the way that oh, that has much. such such long-term effects as well. So, But basically, you're talking about um, acute injuries um, as well as that overuse uh, scenario that, that many athletes deal with. What, let's, let's focus in on the overuse just because, mm-hmm. as you said, those tend to be more of our lifetime sports. Um, mm-hmm. what, do we, what do you do? What do you do when you've got one of those, um, you know, my knee is sore, I don't know where it's coming from, it didn't hurt before, but now it does. What, what's the solution for an overuse injury? Well, you know, there are a lot of things that you can do it um, on your own to start with before you have to go out and seek medical care. Um, number one, you know, we always, uh, I try to teach parents, particularly when they have acute injuries, when they bring their kids in, say, and they've uh, sprained their ankle, for example, we always talk about rice, rest, ice, compress, elevate, okay? So if you've got a sore joint, it's good to probably um, back off on your activities change activities right now to sort of rest that joint. So an example would be if I have a runner that comes in with a knee pain, okay, or a knee problem uh, or an ankle problem or something that could be related to the amount of stress put on the lower leg bones, um, um, a sort of a predisposer to a stress fracture, we get a non-weight bearing, we get them on the bike and have them spin, okay. okay, stationary bike or actually out on the road and doing that, or we get them in the water and having them swim or water walk or things like that where they're not putting as much weight on that that bone or on that joint. Um, so they're they're giving it a chance to see how the body's going to respond, how things are healing, see how it's feeling. Uh, we don't try to impact it a lot. So, you know, people have to walk to get around, but I tell them not to be running on it right mm-hmm. now. And mm-hmm. you can give it four to six weeks, see how it's doing. If it's settling down and it's not hot when you touch it with your hand and there's less swelling to it, then you're making progress. And you can give it a little bit of time. You don't have to run right in with an overuse type injury um, to get it evaluated. Give it a little bit of time, but you need to back off and sort of modify your your exercise habits for that. Does I like that. that ad- yeah, that absolutely. Sense, and I like that advice in that um, you don't just have to, okay, I'm just going to have to sit on the couch now until I get better. You no, can, as you said, no, mix things uh-huh. up, do things differently, try to take some of that weight off with, with water or uh, a bicycle or something like that, mm-hmm. um, which I guess leads me really to my next question. I wanted to get into this triathlon uh, aspect and the triathlon concept with you, Dr. Dallow. You, you've obviously participated and competed as a triathlete. Um, what, uh, tell me, what are some lessons that people who are non-triathletes, what can they learn from the training techniques of a triathlete? That's a good question. Um, So the classic example is a runner um, versus triathlete. Um, So again, running, weight-bearing, shock to the lower extremities, okay? Um, So with that, you know that over time they may, you know, a large percentage of, of serious runners in a year's time will come up with some type of an injury, you know, somewhere between maybe 30 to 50 percent, depending on their mileage. Okay. Um, The beauty about triathlon is, is that you're doing three 
disciplines, which I consider sort of a lifelong. I think cycling, swimming, and and bike and running can be something that people can do for a very long time Certainly. throughout their you know lifespans. Um, but because you're doing all three, you're putting different stress loads on different parts of the body in different ways. Swimming, upper body, shoulders, legs. You know your calves, your ankles, knees to somewhat. Cycling, you know, usually not too bad. You can get some issues there depending on how your bike is fitted. But you know, you're doing mainly maybe more with knees and some hip issues, and then you have the acute injuries when you end up crashing. But that's a whole different side. So <laughs> we free um, not do that. You know, a, a, a single sport person. Um, I think because their risk of overloading, if they're really getting serious into their sports, if you get above 20 miles a week, we know that your rate of injury goes up with running. If you go over 40 miles a week, we know it increases more. If, you know, the, the people that are training for long distance racing marathons, you know, that are over a hundred miles a week, we know that their rate of injury goes up fairly high. Hmm. So that, uh, yeah, that, that idea of cross training Really yeah, rings it's true exactly for single sport athletes. Idea. Yeah. yeah, I like that. You're listening to the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life, and we're visiting with sports medicine physician and triathlete Dr. Kurt Dallow. Now, how how long have you been doing uh, triathlon? How long have you competed in that sport? I think I did my first triathlon in the early 80s here in Colorado. Okay. Um, it was a small one around where we lived. Didn't know very much. Um, I come from a running background. I used to um, did cross country in high school and then um, ran recreationally. But as a fairly serious age grouper up to marathon distance, did a number of marathons in that and and then just wanted to do a little bit more. So, yeah, since about the 80s, I've been doing triathlon, started off with on the road. In the last 10 years, I've pretty much done more off-road triathlons because I enjoy mountain biking and I enjoy trail running. Excellent. And so um, focus more that way. Excellent. Now, I, I have to admit, uh, I've uh, I, I, the sport of choice that I've participated in is one of these non-lifetime sports uh, I've, I've wrestled for most people yeah, for, well for me too uh, there's going to be a lifespan and it's going to come to an end but I but I have wrestled I've wrestled in a few tournaments I, I don't do it every weekend or anything like that but you know once a year twice a year I go to a tournament and then I help coach a local high school team here as well but I know that like you said the, that's not r- really for most people that's not going to be a lifetime sport so I'm trying to figure out what my next lifetime what my next sport is going to be and I want it to be a lifetime sport and I've considered triathlon seriously as something that I want to do. I do want to exercise. I want to stay in shape. I feel like there's great value in competition and and I find a lot of motivation in that. So how does someone jump into triathlon as a sport? You know, it's it's funny you bring it up only because just recently the national governing body for triathlon in the United States, uh, USA Triathlon, and Ironman, and everybody's sort of heard about Ironman, right? right? Um, you know, the, and Kona and Hawaii and things like this. They actually pl- are doing a program um, together to try to increase people to look at, um, to increase participation in triathlon. And they do it, it's, it's called... Um, uh, time to try, so it's maybe time to try your first triathlon. Uh, 
I've actually and seen if you that actually campaign. Go to, if you Google time to try, it'll bring up some information. They talk about it, but you can get like, you can get um, free coaching online where they set you up with a training program, depending on what you want to do. And, and their focus is, you know, you don't go out and, you know, have the $5,000 bike, the aero helmet and everything that you <laughs> see the, you know, the serious triathletes, you, you maybe do it on a single speed bike or, a, you know, any bike that you have in your garage that has air in its tires. <laughs> and you go out and you run a small, you run a, a distance, and these are what we would call more super sprint type triathlons, fairly short in distance, maybe a, maybe a five to ten mile bike ride, maybe a one to two mile run, and maybe a, even like a four hundred pool swim, four hundred yeah. yard pool swim. Okay, and it's it's just as a way to get you introduced, and the idea is not competition but completion. Okay, so you feel good about it. And again, not a lot of you can set yourself up really easily to do that by yourself. You don't have to have coaching and things like this. You just have to learn a little bit and you have to train a little bit because when you do the three sports together, it's a little different than, you know, doing them separately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so so these programs are, you know, again, this time to try is a really neat concept that they put together for this. I like that. Like I said, I've seen that campaign. And um, the thing that I like about triathlon, as you said, it, it does it does lean towards a lifetime sport. These are all activities that it seems like we can carry on into our, our later years for sure. I like the cross-training aspect of it as well. And I've also mm-hmm. really felt that it's accessible, you know. Um, of course, of course, an Ironman isn't accessible to everyone, uh, especially as you're starting out. Those are incredible distances. The Ironman was set up to be the kind of race that really pushed the limits of human endurance. But as you as you said, these super sprints or even a sprint itself, those distances are attainable with a little bit of work. Now, you wouldn't be able to go from you know 20 years of a couch potato to getting a, a sprint triathlon, but but those distances are are doable, and I like that cross training aspect that just gives you, you know, a chance to to start where you are and then work from there. So we've got a, a couple of minutes left, Doctor Dallow. Tell me what has the sport of triathlon taught you? You've competed for a long time. What what life lessons have you learned from this sport? <laughs> well, I've, I've I've learned some life lessons, uh, so, some funny life lessons. Like number one. Um, Check your seat post before you race because nothing <laughs> worse than trying to compete on a bicycle when the seat has fallen off yeah. Ouch, okay, yeah, or is advice. loose. Okay? Ouch, yes. Ouch, exactly. Okay. Um, the other thing um, is that, you know, you can uh, don't – you got well, the other is – and it's a life lesson for me is pace yourself. Okay. Okay. You don't want to go out in one discipline and blow up and then still have to get through the other two. Okay. Yeah. So again, it's a matter of pacing. And again, you know, you're really competing against yourself. You want to, you want to finish the race, but, um, keep it in perspective. I mean, it's not life and death. You know, all of us age groupers that race in any type of discipline are really doing it for the enjoyment of competing. But, you know, we're not going to be on the podium and we're not going to be making a living all the time off of our achievements. Right. So keep it in perspective. So it sounds like to me that what you're saying is the life lessons you learned are, number one, be aware of your surroundings. Because uh-huh. that's the seat one. And, <laughs> and, and the second one is life is a marathon, not a sprint. There you go. Uh-huh. Awesome. Yes. 
Well, Dr. Dallow, thank you so much for joining us today. I I, uh, I appreciate. I think we both appreciate your expertise oh, definitely. And, and what you shared with us today. And uh, I've definitely learned some things, and, and I've got some food for thought that I can uh, take with me into my Just don't fry or bake that food. That's right, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poach it. <laughs> okay. Just, just slow cook it, right? <laughs> hey, it was my pleasure. Awesome, awesome. Well, hopefully we can have you on the show again sometime, and hopefully we'll see you out here at the Huntsman World Senior Game sometime as well. Oh, yeah. My wife and I are looking to uh, get that on the calendar here so we can plan for that. But awesome. Very good to talk to you both. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Jeff, registration. Oh, sorry. Registration for the Husband World Senior Games is definitely winding down. Yes, it is. The last day to register is September 1st. So don't miss out on what is sure to be a historic event because I really think, as I said at the beginning, we're going to break a record yes, we with are. our participation this year. All you got to do is visit seniorgames.net on the internet and register today for the sport of your choice. We have 30 different sports to choose from, and the dates for this year's games are October 8th through the 20th. Speaking of registering, Jeff, now is a great time to register as a volunteer for the Husband World Senior Games. That is very true. We need a ton of help, and if you're not planning to compete this year, volunteering is a great way to get involved. Or even if you are going to volunteer, even if you are going to participate, there's volunteer there's opportunities around There's still opportunities it, right? to uh, volunteer there as well. It's easy to do. Once again, just visit SeniorGames.net, click on the Volunteer tab, and there are many, many ways to offer a helping hand in helping the games be successful. I also want to put a quick plug in for our opening ceremonies. Plan on attending on Tuesday, October 9th at 7 p.m. at Dixie State University's Trailblazer Stadium. We're going to have a, uh, a fantastic show, singing, dancing, the parade of athletes, and best of all, it is free. So bring your family and don't miss out. Remember to tune in live next and every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time. On AM 1450 or FM 93.1 for the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life and our inspirational thought for the day, Jeff, results happen over time, not overnight. Very true. Until next Thursday, stay active. Bye, everyone.